Are you ready to know your worth and identity in the body of Christ? Are you ready for kingdom conversations with kingdom people? Welcome to the Recovery to Recovered podcast. I'm your host, Kayla McCall, and I will be guiding you through the word with preaching and teaching and empower you to know who you are in Christ Jesus. So anybody that's ever heard me preach knows that I'm a holiness preacher. Come on, somebody. Holiness is good, right? Amen. Holy, holiness is good. So y'all know that I'm a holiness preacher and that I preach on the holiness of God. And I preach on the holiness that God calls us to. And that he also, watch this, gives you the ability to walk out. God would not tell you to be holy as he is holy if you could not do it. Amen. So hear me out when I say this. And most of you know and have heard me preach it for a while now. Let me be clear. Holiness does not mean perfection. Holiness does not mean that you are perfect and that you never make a mistake and that you have the fewest mistakes in your past. No, what holiness means is that you are set apart. Come on, somebody. It means that you are different than the world around you. You don't look like them. You don't talk like them. And when I say you don't look like them, I'm not talking about your appearance. John 7, 24 says, do not judge by appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. There went half of y'all's theology on we don't need to judge nobody come on y'all okay but Jesus says judge with righteous judgment and judge with the measure that you would want to be judged with that's why we need to be careful amen you need to be careful when it comes to judging folks because with the same measure that you judge others God will judge you God isn't into hypocrisy come on somebody God isn't into hypocrisy and so holiness is not perfection, meaning that you never make a mistake and that you never go through anything. And God is holy. But what the angels are singing when they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are rolling around the throne and look, throne and look they're flying around it all, all the way around. And they are seeing every aspect of him. And they are saying he is holy. Come on. He is different. There is none like him in all of the earth or in all of the heavens. He's holy. Holy, he's sanctified and he's set apart. Yes, he is perfect. But when they are saying that he is holy, they are saying that he is set apart. He is different than any other thing on the face of the earth or in the heavens. So hear me out and understand that holiness is not perfection. It is simply being set apart. That's what the Bible calls us to. The Bible calls us a peculiar people. Come on, somebody. That's why we can come to church and we can shout and we can dance and we can sing and do peculiar things. The Bible made it clear when you're a believer, you are going to do some peculiar things because God's been good to you and you want to engage with the presence of God. And you don't care what anybody else says or thinks about you. Right. We talked about that last week when we went into the praise session. Come on. But to be holy means that you are different than the world around you. God is holy within himself because he is different or set apart. Hence, he is not a man that he should lie. Amen. He's not a man that he should grow weary for God is spirit. So I'm a holiness preacher. I preach the word of God that says you should look different than the world around you. We're called to change the world around us, but you can't change an atmosphere that you look just like. Come on, somebody. You, you can't change an atmosphere that you look just like. You can't, you can't function in it. You can't be different. But holiness is the truth of God's word. Amen. He says, be holy as I am holy, for without holiness you will not see God. And I will always continue to preach that. But I'm preaching a different facet of God today. Come on, somebody. 
I'm preaching a different facet of God today because he is holy, but he is also full of grace and mercy. Come on. God has different facets of himself, meaning that God has different wonderful qualities of himself. Amen. I'm going to preach the only facet of himself that can ever get you to a place of holiness, and that is the grace of God. Come on. I'm talking about the grace of God this morning. Because a true revelation of, God, of God's grace will have you wanting to live different. The true grace of God will have you wanting to live different. And what I'm preaching today is the only source that can make you live different. What I'm going to preach today is the only source that can make you live different, that can sanctify you and set you apart. And that source is the grace of God. I want to talk to you about the grace of God. Watch this. Because I want to be a balanced preacher. Come on, somebody. We need more balanced preachers in America because we can't just talk about the holiness of God and the holiness and sanctification of the believer and the Christian and not ever mention the grace and the goodness and the kindness of God. Come on, somebody. Y'all awake with me this morning. It's the kindness and the goodness of God. It is the grace and it is the mercy of God. That is the only fuel in the universe to ever get you to a place of holiness and sanctification. You have to understand how and realize how messed up and jacked up that you are and have been to ever get you to a place that changes you and makes you different. Come on. So I want to be balanced this morning. You're going to hear me talk about the scandalous grace of God this morning. An unbalanced life, Proverbs says, is an abomination to God. So guess what? I believe an unbalanced church would be an abomination to God. I believe an unbalanced marriage would be an abomination to God, so on and so forth. So you're going to hear me preach and teach still on the holiness and the sanctification of the church that we need and that we will get to by the power of the Holy Ghost. That will never change. But you will also hear me preach about the scandalous grace of a good God who has made a way to redeem you, heal you, and set you free and turn you into something that you was not before you met him. Grace is defined as this, as unmerited favor. Grace is the unmerited favor of God, meaning that you did nothing to deserve it, but God is giving it to you. Not because of who you are and what you've done, but simply because he is good. The unmerited favor of God comes simply because he is good. Now, I believe that the favor of God and the grace of God are two different things. In our English translation, those words are are, uh, interchanged a lot, but I really don't believe that they mean the same thing. And I know that because I back it up with Scripture. The Bible says that Noah found favor in the sight of God because he was a preacher of righteousness and he was a righteous man. Ruth found favor in the eyes of Boaz because she was a hard worker. She was doing what nobody had told her to do. She was trying to provide for her family. She was doing what God had called her to do. She hadn't abandoned Naomi and she was trying to stick with the family that had introduced her to God. Come on somebody, y'all with me this morning. So the favor of God is poured out on your life and really the favor of God is this. The favor of God is when God looks down on your life and smiles, and then he begins to talk to other people about you. Because the favor of God 
is where God will put you in a situation that you have no business excelling in, but he, he allows you to excel in because he begins to talk about your faithfulness to other individuals around you who can help you get to your destiny, your purpose, and your destination. Come on, somebody. You ain't going to do this on your own. You, you're not going to do this on your own. We need each other. Come on, somebody. We, we need each other. We need to be connected. But I ain't talking about the favor of God this morning. Come on. I said I'm talking about the grace of God this morning. Come on. I'm talking about the scandalous grace of a good God this morning. I'm talking about the grace of God that melted your heart the day that you said yes to him. I'm also talking about God's grace that kept you in the palm of his hand after every mistake that you have ever made. I'm talking about the grace of God that gave you the strength to keep walking with him after the loss of a loved one. I'm talking about the grace of God that helped you through the bankruptcy. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I'm talking about the grace of God that helped you when your spouse cheated on you, left you, and abandoned you. I'm talking about the grace of God that got you through a global pandemic and didn't have the righteous begging for bread. Come on. I'm talking about the grace of God that showers you every morning. I'm talking about the grace of God that's new every morning. Come on. I'm talking about the grace of God that you can't outrun. Come on. I'm thankful for God's grace. And if you're thankful for God's grace, I wish you'd make a little bit of noise in this place. Woo! Come on. I want to stay here for just a second because some of y'all need to get a hold of this. Heck, the more I preach it, the more I teach it, and the more I read about it, the more I'm getting a hold of it. So I'm just going to keep talking about it. Come on. The grace of God is not cheap or fickle. Come on. I do believe that you can be saved and denounce your faith in God and turn your back on him and in return lose the salvation that was freely given to you. But God does not drop you every time that you make a mistake. Come on. I grew up in holiness movements and holiness churches and my whole life I was so scared. And every time that I did something, I thought, man, I'm going to hell this weekend and I'm not saved and I'm losing my salvation. And why would I go ahead and serve God when I'm going to hell anyways? I came to tell somebody today that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God who is Jesus, the son of the living God. His grace is not fickle. His love is not fickle. And it does not change when you change come on he is faithful he is faithful he cannot deny himself even when you're unfaithful he is faithful because he cannot deny himself it's who he is hear me out you know maybe when I was growing up and I was hearing those teachings. Maybe I just missed it. I misread it or I misunderstood it. But I was thinking in my mind, how in the world am I going to serve this perfect God? Because I've got some major issues in my life. But Jesus didn't come so that every time you made a mistake, you got to get saved all over again. Come on, respond to the salvation altar call and walk up and live a, your life in condemnation, feeling condemned and like God is mad at you. Can I help you this morning? God is not mad at you. 
He poured all his wrath out on that cross and Calvary Hill. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. And no matter how far you've gone, no matter what wilderness you're in, no matter how far you have taken things in your life, God is not mad at you. He has a plan and it's the grace today that's going to draw you home. Come on. It's the grace of God today that is going to bring sons and daughters home because it's the love and the grace of God that showers men and women and brings them to a place of repentance. Been all over the place this morning. Come on, y'all on the front row. Don't worry, it's holy. Woo! Come on, can I help you this morning? God's not mad at you. Jesus is not mad at you. It's all under the blood. Come on, somebody, touch your neighbor and tell them it's under the blood. Come on. My mistake I made last night, it's under the blood. My mistake I made last week, it's under the blood. The mistake I made last year, guess what? It's still under the blood of Jesus, and he calls me righteous, and he calls me redeemed, and he calls me holy when I am in him. It's all under the blood. The Bible says in Romans 6, where sin does abound, does that much more grace abound? Do we have that? Can we get that on the screen, please? Romans 6, real quick. In jeopardy of messing up my flow. We're still going to get it here. Let's see. So what do we do then? Do we persist in sin so that God's grace and kindness will increase? What a terrible thought. We have died to sin once and for all as a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's monument any longer? Can we rewind back to Romans 5? I think it's 20. Did, we, did I give you all that, please? I probably should have read that first. So watch this. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Oh, come on. Y'all missed a good time to shout. Because where your sin has gotten heavy and it's abounded in your life, the moment that repentance can hit your heart because of the kindness and the goodness of God, the grace just covers it. Come on. It don't matter how high your sin's piled. It don't matter how long you've been mixed up in it. What Jesus is telling you through the word of God and what the writer Paul is saying is that where your sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And what God is saying in this moment is that your sin is no match for his grace. I said your sin is no match for his grace. It's more powerful. It's stronger. The blood speaks a better word is what the Bible says. Come on. The blood is speaking a better word about your life. And the grace of God is what will call you higher and call you into the newness of life. Go back to Romans 6. Please. <laughs> Getting excited. So what do we do then? Watch this. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. This is in order, Romans 5, then Romans 6. So what do we do then? Do we persist in sinning because of God's grace and kindness will increase? What a terrible thought. That's the passion translation, by the way. The passion translation. That comes from the Aramaic. That's what Jesus was really speaking to them. He wasn't speaking in no Greek, y'all. They were oppressing his people. Anyways. What a terrible thought. We who have died to sin once and for all as a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule 
a moment longer. When you realize the kindness and the goodness of God, that in the midst of all of your junk and all of your sin and your lifestyle and all the stuff that you've got going on, that God's grace abounds in it. So God's grace covers it. And what this is saying here is that you can't stay in it any longer. What a terrible thought that would be to stay bound in a place of sin when you know you're living wrong and you know you're doing wrong, but you also know that God's grace covers it. What a terrible thought process is what Paul is writing here. Why would, why would we trample and abuse the grace of God? He's been too good. He made a way out. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I get so upset with people when they turn God into a tyrant looking like Father Time with an old man with a beard down to here in heaven, and he's just trying to send people to hell. No, no, no. He made a way out. He, he paid the price. He sent his one and only son to the cross. That's the most unselfish thing you could ever do. How many of y'all giving up your babies for somebody? God isn't trying to send people to hell. He's trying to save you. He's poured out his grace for your life and all you have to do. It is a free gift and all you have to do is say, I'll receive it. All you have to do is reach out and grab a hold of it because it is freely given to you. I'm getting ahead of myself again. Ephesians 2 says that it's not by works that no man should boast. It's not by works that no man should boast. So it's free. And it also says this. Let me rewind again. The free gift of God. But the Bible says God ain't trying to send folks to hell. He's made a way for you to be saved, for you to be healed, for you to be restored, set free. Come on. So the Bible says in Romans 6, where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. Meaning every time you make a mistake and every time you make a wrong turn, that God is going to smack you in the face with his grace. Come on, somebody. How you like that? Get smacked in the face with grace. Hey, let's go. Every time you make a wrong turn, bam, there he is. There's God's grace. The next time you make a wrong turn, bam, there he is. There's God's grace. Bam, there it is. There's God's grace. Come on. Every time you've got something going on, the grace of God is ready, willing, and able, and right there waiting on you to say, no, I've got something better for you. You're forgiven. You don't have to have a sin consciousness anymore. It is wiped clean. That's what the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do in Hebrews. It says that it couldn't clear mankind's consciousness of sin. So every time you sin, there was condemnation on you, and there was no way out, and it was like, how am I going to get out of this but when Jesus came and the blood of the son of the living God was shed it can clear the consciousness of sin every time you make a wrong turn there's God's grace made a mistake and look at something online bam there's God's grace oh y'all ain't saying nothing make a mistake in your finances bam there's God's grace and he'll pull you up out of the mess that you might have yourself created come on somebody I'm talking about God's grace this morning if you're with me wave at me real quick and when I'm talking about it, too, I'm not just talking about grace for salvation that God has given you. Watch this, because it's the same grace that saved you that will be the same grace that keeps you. It's the same grace. We only talk about grace when we talk about salvation. But do you understand that after you get saved, you will not be perfect? Y'all holy in here. I just felt convicted. 
Maybe I'm the only one, but but you're going to need God's grace after you get saved, too. Because you're going to make a mistake in this world and in this life. What the blood of Jesus does is it enables you to not be sin consciousness, waking up every morning, waiting to fail. Oh, come on, somebody. The Bible says if you sin, you have an advocate with the father, not when. A lot of people are, oh, help me, Holy Ghost, I feel this right now. A lot of people keep getting mixed up in sin as believers because you're sin consciousness instead of grace conscious. You're constantly thinking about sin, and so you get caught up in sin. Not going to sin today. Promise God I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sin today. And the next thing you know, you have fallen in the pit because that's all you think about. Pink elephant, pink elephant, pink elephant, pink elephant, pink elephant. What are you thinking about? You've got to stop being sin consciousness and start being grace and Jesus consciousness, and you will begin to look like him. Mm. Some of you in the room need to recognize that God is not like a man keeping record of every wrong that you ever do to him. Some of you in the room, let me repeat that, need to recognize that God is not like a man keeping every record of every wrong that you've done against him. The Bible says your sin has been thrown as far as the east is from the west, and it has also been thrown into a sea of forgetfulness. Come on. It has been thrown into a sea of forgetfulness. Jesus. It's been as thrown as far as the east is from the west and has been thrown into a sea of forgetfulness. Heaven is keeping an account of your life, but heaven is not keeping an account of the things that you have done wrong in your life if you are a believer. If you are not a believer, heaven is keeping every record. And you'll stand at the great white throne judgment. Y'all remember, we just talked about this. There's the judgment seat of Christ, and there's the great white throne judgment where every non-believer will stand and give an account for their life. And the Bible says that the books will be open. But for those who have been written in the Lamb's book of life, you will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. So heaven is not keeping a record of all the wrongs that you have done. How could it if it's been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness? Come on, is God dead? Digging it back up when you go before God. Come on. Is he just going to go as far as the east is from the west? And when you stand before him, he's going to bring up all of your junk. No, heaven is keeping a record of what you have done as a believer so that heaven knows how to respond when you get there with your reward and with your crown so that you can throw it at the feet of Jesus. Makes a change, don't it? About being sin consciousness, man. We got to stop this stuff. But for you, it's all under the blood. Come on, somebody. I said it's under the blood. Touch your neighbor and say it's under the blood. Look at your other neighbor who didn't interact and do what I said and say it's under the blood. Come on, somebody. Look at your neighbor behind you and tell them it's under the blood. It's under the blood. Come on, come on. I made a made a mistake last week, but it's under the blood. Come on. I might have made a mistake last year, but it's under the blood. God's grace has renewed my mind. Yes, God's grace is fuel for me to repent 
not meaning I'm sorry, but that I'm going to change the way that I think about something so that I can change what I do. Help me, Holy Ghost. You cannot change what you do until you change the way that you think about it. That is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12, just a few more chapters over. He says, be not conformed by this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That Greek word there is metanoia. It means to change the way that you think. This is not repentance. God, I'm sorry. I ain't going to smoke weed no more. I ain't going to smoke no more, God. And then you roll up out of here. You go get that shell. Y'all, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> some, some of y'all don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of them real preachers. I'm one of them real. That, that's not repentance, though. Watch this. Repentance is understanding that when Galatians 5 is written and Paul writes, the works of the flesh are this and they're evident. And he says, you know, they're lying, they're cheating, they're stealing, they're this, they're that, and he, they're adultery. He goes into all the little sins that we know about, right? And then he throws us for a loop and he throws this word in there called pharmakia. It's where we get our word pharmacy from. It's where we get the word drugs from. So you have to have a change in your mindset to understand that And when he says pharmakia, the word pharmakia is translated in the English witchcraft. So so you got to begin to understand that when you're doing drugs, you're opening yourself up to a portal and another realm. That's why that's why we talked about drinking and stuff a a while back, too. Uh, uh, And and what I talked about with that, the Bible says, be sober. Peter says, be sober and be vigilant for your enemy goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Why do we encourage you not to get what? Not we. Why does the Bible encourage you not to get drunk and not to get high and use pharmacia? Because when you do those things, it's a whole lot easier for you to be susceptible to your flesh. And when you're in your flesh, guess what? You become food for lions. Come on, that's a good teaching right there. So so it's not just about trying to tell you repentance can't happen by somebody just trying to, you don't need to do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Repentance can only hit your heart and hit your mind and hit your spirit if you learn and change the way that you think about whatever sin it is that you've got going on. Man, that's some good teaching. Somebody just got free in here. Somebody just got free in here. You got to change the way that you think about it, because until you change the way that you think about things, you're not going to change what you do. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. Come on. We got to get a hold of this stuff. Repentance. And I'm about to get into this. Oh, yeah. Let me right into it. Come on. The Bible says, watch this. So we talked about repentance. We need to get to a place of repentance. Without repentance, you can't get born again. And if you can't get born again, you can by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So watch this. You need to get to a place of repentance. How do you get to a place of repentance? I'm glad you asked. Romans 2 verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that it's the goodness of God? That leads to repentance. NLT says it like this. I love this. Do you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient that God has been with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Question mark. Can't you see that it's his kindness 
that intended you to turn from your sin. I'm letting it soak. Because I feel like preaching. It's the kindness and the goodness of God that can get you to a place of repentance. It's the kindness and the goodness of God that can get you to change the way that you think about things. Because when you realize, man, I'm jacked up, I'm messed up, I have made so many mistakes in my life, and I need the goodness of God, and he's given it to me. I have been saved by grace through faith. So his grace, his kindness, and his goodness is what will actually lead me to repentance so that I could change the way that I think so that I could change what I do. It's the kindness and the goodness of God that lead to repentance. It's not me with a microphone telling you about all your stuff and how jacked up you are. Help me, Lord. People who are living in sin, they already know they're living in sin. I was out there in the streets. I knew my life was messed up. I knew that I was living contrary to the word. I knew that there was something off in my spirit, in my heart, in my home, in my life. I knew that something was off. I knew what I was missing. And watch this. You want to know how that is and why that is? Because the Bible says that you were created in Christ Jesus and are the workmanship of his hands. The lamb was slain before the foundation of the very world. So what's happening in those moments when I'm at the dope house selling dope, acting crazy, and I have this feeling of I don't belong here. What's happening is your spirit is trying to get your mind to catch up with what it already knows about you. Your spirit was with God before you ever got here. But your mind has been infected by the tree, and that happened in the garden. Oh, this is some good teaching, y'all. This is some good stuff right here because I'm telling you, people are getting free in this place today. You've got to change the way that you think about things. It's the kindness and the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. It's not somebody beating you across the head with one of these. Oh, so we Christians in the room. You're not going to convict somebody by beating them across the head with a Bible that they don't understand. But, but it's the kindness and the goodness of God. When you begin to tell them of the grace of God and the story of the gospel, that God was in heaven and he had a meeting one day. And who did God have a meeting with? He could have a meeting with none other than himself in the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost had a meeting one day. And they got to talking about what they was going to do. And they got to talking about who you was going to be. And they said, we're going to create an earth. And we're going to create a universe and a place for them to be at. And I am going to make a way for them to get back into right relationship with me because I'm God. And in my foreknowledge, I already see everything that's already done. 
the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. So that means God never starts a thing until he finishes a thing. Help me, Holy Ghost. Y'all see what I'm saying there? God doesn't ever even start a thing until he finishes a thing. So God already knew everything that was going to happen. And he said, in my goodness, come on, somebody, in my kindness, I am going to make a way for them to get back in right relationship with me and for me to walk with them in the cool of the garden like I did in Genesis 1. How does he walk with you in the cool of the garden? His grace, his kindness, his goodness is how that becomes possible. It's the kindness and the goodness of God. Come on, it's the kindness and the goodness of God. Touch your neighbor, wake him up and say, it's the kindness and the goodness of God that draws men unto repentance. Come on. It's the kindness and the goodness of God's that God that leads us unto repentance, not holiness preachers with the fewest past in their mistakes. Come on. Hear me well, church of Jesus Christ. We need to preach against sin and we will. You want to know the problem with when you don't preach against sin and you don't talk about it. You don't. You, people don't understand that they have the power to overcome it. So so we're going to do those things. We're going to preach because this is y'all know. Lord, help me. The church is where you get built up and edified and equipped to go out into the world and do it. Look, look, if y'all can't do it in here, you ain't going to do it out there. Come on. Come on. If you can't dance, you can't sing, you can't worship, you can't lift your hands in here, you're never going to do it out there. If you can't lay hands on the sick in here, you're never going to do it out there. If you can't share the gospel and the truth of God's word in here, you're never going to do it out there. This is a training facility for the believer. So we're going to preach on sin in the church so that Christians know they have the power to overcome it and so that they know what sin is. That's what the law was about, y'all. The law was simply to show us what God's standard is and then how messed up we are. That's the whole purpose of the law. The 614 laws and the Ten Commandments, it's all there. So we got to preach against sin and we're going to do that. But it ain't a preacher telling you how bad you are that's going to get you to turn from it. It's the grace of God. Come on. I said it's the grace of God that will get you to turn from it. Because watch this. We need to preach against sin because here's really where it's at. We need to preach against sin because sin will keep you from the blessing of God. Help me, Lord, because i got to be careful with what I'm about to say. It's not that sin issue. That's going to keep you from God. Salvation is wrapped up in grace and mercy and truth. And we complicate salvation. We complicate salvation. Those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, they shall be saved. Period. Period. But watch this. It's the sin in a believer's life that will keep you from the blessing of God. Y'all want to have some proof on, I got scripture all day for what I'm telling you. Go read the story of the prodigal son. And I, ain't, I I'm not preaching that grace is a license to sin. Look, if you think grace is a license to sin, you've had no encounter with the grace of God and you're not saved anyways. 
So, so hear me out what I'm telling you. The son and the prodigal son, he did not have to get reinstated as a son when he left. He came and the father came running towards him and put a robe on his shoulders, sandals on his feet, and a ring on his finger. I told you earlier, the grace of God is not fickle. The love of God is not fickle. You might be sitting in this room and made a bunch of mistakes this week or this year or in your life period. But the grace of God is not fickle. It does not change. We need to preach against sin because watch this. It's sin that will keep you from the blessing of God. And I want people to walk in the blessing of God. Anybody want to walk in the blessing of God? Just wave at me real quick. Watch this. Obedience will bring about the blessing. Just read Deuteronomy 28. Come on. Disobedience brings about curses, which in return brings about pain. Come on. A lot of us in here, we say and we aren't walking in the fullness of God because we're a knucklehead and we won't walk in obedience to the things that God has called us to. And when you walk in that type of lifestyle, you better get real tough real quick because a lot of pain is heading your way. And you might be saved, but pain is heading your way. You're going to go through trials and tribulations. And look, hear me out. I'm not saying that if you're walking and doing everything with God that those things won't come, but those things are going to come anyways. So why would you set yourself up for extra battles disobedience brings about the curse but nowhere in Deuteronomy or elsewhere in the Bible does it say that either one of those bring repentance the Bible just said it was the goodness and the kindness of God that draws men unto repentance when you realize how jacked up you are and how many mistakes you've made and all of those things it'll make you want to change and if you change the way that you think which is repentance you can change what you do and if you can change what you do because you are now repentive you have reached a point of true grace and grace is how you receive salvation. Come on, somebody. I said grace is how you receive salvation because somebody's in here getting free. Touch your neighbor this morning and say, get free, get free, get free of religious ways of thinking that God has turned his back on you because you made a mistake or you've blown it or whatever. Get free from that. Y'all bear with me. I'm almost done. When we talk about God's grace, we're talking about one of the most important things in the Bible because when you talk about God's grace, you talk about salvation. And salvation is what Christianity is all about, being saved. Being saved from what? From an eternity separated from God in hell. Yeah, I'm talking about the grace of God today, but guess what, folks? Hell is still real and hell is still hot. And people who do not engage with the grace of God, which in return changes the way that they're living and the way that they're thinking and all the things that they're doing, they will still spend an eternity separated from God. Hell is still real. And people are there right now and people are heading there in the future. But the grace of God is available to you this morning. The grace of God is available to everyone on the face of the earth. I love a God that is diverse. Do you understand? We serve a diverse God. Come on. I see every race, every tribe, every nation in the room today. We got Spanish. We got all kind of people in the room. And God is a diverse God. He is an inclusive God. Come on, somebody. He is inclusive in the sense that he has made a way for everybody to come to him. Come on. Everybody. So when we talk about grace, we're talking about your salvation. Prove it, Pastor. Ephesians 2a says you are saved by grace through faith. And this is a gift from God, not of yourselves, that any man should boast. So you're not saved by your works, but grace. 
When you were truly saved, though, your works showed that you are saved. Y'all okay? James, the brother of Jesus, gives an entire soliloquy on this in the scriptures. And he says, show me your faith without your works. Come on. Grace and works go together. This is what Jesus calls fruit. James, Jesus' brother, wrote the book and gave a big soliloquy on this whole concept in the book of James. If you don't believe me, just go read it. Amen. Because that's not what I'm preaching on today. But I will say this. If you have had a true encounter with the Lord and you have had a true encounter with the grace that I'm talking about today, there will be works that back up and are evidence, a.k.a. fruit of your experience that you say that you have had. Watch this. Grace wants to make you live right because God's been too good. Grace, grace makes you want to live your life like you got a dove on your shoulder and you don't want it to leave. Come on. The grace of God is a powerful thing. It is an impactful thing. So also the scriptures say by grace through faith, the channel is faith. So these two go hand in hand. Once you have the faith, God gives you the grace. Come on, somebody. Once you have the faith, God gives you the grace. Watch this. Both of these are a gift from God. Both of these are a gift from God. You don't understand that the Bible says that you cannot come to Jesus unless the Father first draws you. So you didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to serve Jesus today. I smoked crack yesterday, but I'm going to serve Jesus today on your own. You come because the Father has drawn you to this very moment. You, you come because the Father has drawn you to this very moment. You didn't just walk into church today if you ain't been, been to a church in six years or five years or six months. No, the Father draw, drew you to this place. He began ministering to you while you probably didn't even realize it. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to you and say, man, I've got to go check out what's going on at Canvas Community Church. I, I, I just want to open and read my Bible today, and I haven't read it my whole life. That didn't just come out of nowhere. God drew you to that moment. God drew you to that moment. The Bible says this. The, the Bible says that God has given each man a measure of faith. What you do with it is up to you. The Bible also teaches that the Father draws you, like I just said. So he's blessed you with faith and he's blessed you with grace. What are you doing with it? This is why I get so upset when people turn God into this disgruntled old man in the sky looking like Father Time was just trying to suck the fun out of life. That, that's not the God that we serve. That, that's not the God of the Bible. The Bible said that he's good and that he's kind. He's given you a gift. He's made a way when he didn't have to. He's good and he's kind. Are we? Because to the individual that's you're miss if you're not good and kind and you have turned God into this old man in the sky looking like Father Time trying to zap down his own creation, you are misrepresenting who he is and you're lying on him. And I couldn't think of any more evil of a thing to do. He's kind and he is good. Come on, he's kind. And he is good. Caleb, you've talked a lot about grace. But what does that have to do with the story that you just told us and that we just read with Peter? 
at the beginning. It has everything to do with it because Peter and the disciples have left the calling of God and they've went back to doing what they were doing before. Peter says, I'm going fishing. They said, Peter, will follow you. They had went back to doing what they were doing before instead of what God had called them to do. And it's always a face-to-face encounter with grace that enables the individuals to change and get to doing what God has always intended them to do and what they were created for. You know, the disciples all abandoned him and left him. The Savior of the world, who they walked with, who they did ministry with. John, the writer of this book, was the only one who did not leave him. John laid his head on his chest at the Last Supper. John felt the very breath of God on his his face. He could not leave him. But all these others had abandoned him. Peter, a couple of chapters before, is denying his Savior, his Master, who he's walked with and did life with. He's just chopped off the ear of a guard from the priest. Peter was impulsive. He almost killed somebody a couple of days before. And then yet he's at this fire with people questioning him. You were with him. You you have a Galilean accent. You you walked with him. You, You were with him. And he says, no, I was not with him. Peter even goes on to cuss out a teenager. And watch this. He curses the very day he met Jesus. Some of you think you went too far. I'm here to tell you today the grace of God is more powerful than any way that you've ever went. The grace of God is more powerful than any other place that you've went. And for the sake of exegeting the text real quick, as I'm about to close, y'all bear with me just a second. Let me show you what grace looks like. First of all, the Bible says that Jesus is grace and truth, and he steps onto the scene of John chapter 21. Keep in mind, these are the men who have abandoned him in the garden and at his crucifixion. And here Jesus is cooking them breakfast and standing on the seashore, giving instruction of how to bless them. Even in the midst of their going back. They haven't caught anything all night, but with one simple instruction from Jesus and them obeying it, blessing comes to the boat. Those fish hadn't been there. They showed up when Jesus said, put your nets on the right side of the boat. It's the goodness. It's the goodness of God. I said earlier that draws men to repentance. And can I say this this morning? You could run as far as you want from God. But if he ever steps onto the seashore of your life, come on, somebody. I said, you could, you could be as far away from God as you could ever possibly think. But if he ever steps onto the seashore of your life 
and tells you to throw the net on the other side. Come on. What what does Jesus say? He said, try something different than what you've been doing all night, kids. Try something different. Come on. To somebody in the room, I believe he's saying, it's time for you to try something different. I'm drawing you to my grace today. I'm drawing you unto repentance. And I'm saying, it's time for you to shift some things up in your life. It's time for you to try something different. Look, the fish ain't there, but I'll send them if you'll just walk in obedience to what I've called you to. They wasn't there all night, but the moment that Jesus said, toss it to the other side, they showed up and there was a blessing for them that could not be obtained. If it wasn't for the grace of God holding that net together, the Bible actually teaches that that thing would have burst and the fish would have went everywhere. But it was the grace of God drawing those men back to the seashore, just like it was the grace of God that held that net back together. And if God is drawing you to a place of repentance and back to relationship with him, come on. He is drawing you back to a relationship and a place with him and the blessing that's on the other side of that, the nets would not be able to obtain and hold if he was not there with his grace. Jesus says, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. And I love this because if if you'll cast your net on the right side of anything, a great harvest is coming your way. Next, we read that Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to the master. Can I help you this morning? When Jesus steps onto the seashore of your life, the only proper response when grace and truth show up is to get your butt going. Jump off the boat. Swim to the master. Come running over the hill to get back to the father. Amen. When grace steps onto the scene, you run to it. Peter had just got done denying the Lord three times, and he also curses even the day that he met the man. But here he is jumping off the ship to get before him. Somebody come play for me, please. Brandon Jordan, somebody. Peter had just got done denying the Lord three times. He cusses out a teenager on his way to doing it and curses the day that he even met Jesus. And like I said, some of you think that you've gone too far. I'm here to tell you this morning that grace is here, that grace is in the room. Jesus is grace and mercy and truth, and he's in the room today. Grace has come for you today. That lie you told yesterday, what you might have looked at online last night, the relationship that you have no business being in, All the mistakes that you've made last week, last month, last year, every mistake that you've ever made up until this moment can come up underneath the blood in one moment of your life. The grace of God is more powerful than any mistake you've ever made. I said the grace of God is more powerful than any mistake that you have ever made. Come on, we got to start preaching this stuff. It's the scandalous grace of the Bible. The story of the Bible and the gospel truth is scandalous in every aspect. You know, we in America, really all over the world, we love a scandalous story. Turn on the news for five minutes and tell me who feeds it. But there is this scandalous story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grace looks different than most of us have been taught. 
I said, grace looks different than most of us have been taught. That's why Jesus looked different on the seashore. Grace looks different than most of us have been taught. That's why he looks different. It proves the fact that most of us have been painting a picture of him and the father that is not accurate. We in the American church have preached a mean, intolerable God when the Bible says that his mercy triumphs over judgment. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He's the express image of the Father. All of the fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell in him bodily. And we have created this bipolar God who turns his back on people every time they make a mistake. Can I help you, Church of Jesus Christ? God ain't turned his back on you. And his grace is sufficient. Where sin abounds, so much more does grace abound. I I wanted to preach on this today because I'm I'm here to tell you, your understanding of grace will be a reflection of how you give grace to others. Your understanding of this grace and the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will affect how you give grace to others if you don't really realize this, that you ain't got nothing to do with grace. You got something to do with favor of God on your life because the righteous get that. But but grace is unmerited favor, meaning you haven't done anything to deserve it. Preachers are scared to preach on the scandalous grace of God because we've been afraid that people will abuse it. I probably said that from this pulpit. Not I've talked about greasy grace before, and here's the sad fact of it. People do operate in it, but they have not encountered the true grace of God. If you think that you could just go live however way that you want to and that you're going to be good and your ticket's punched into heaven because you said a little prayer and asked Jesus into your heart, by the way, you don't find that in here. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. If you think that the grace of God is something to be trampled on, you will be very, very upset on the day that you stand before God and give an account for your life. But watch this. Us preachers, we can't mess up the system that God has and the system that God has set up. Preaching this system of grace is what God has ordained because his way in his system says, if you will simply preach the scandalous grace of a good God, of a kind God, that it will penetrate the hearts and lives of people listening and within the sound of your voice. And the system of God says that when they encounter this grace, they will be forever saved and forever changed and understand that I've I've, I've got to engage in this grace. I've got to give my life to the Lord Jesus and I know I won't be perfect, but the same grace that saved me is going to be the same grace that will carry me on and keep me for the rest of my life. Thank you for listening to the Recovery to Recover podcast. If you like what you heard today, visit BeTheBushMinistries.com or MiriamHouse.com to become a monthly partner or for more info about our ministry and what we are accomplishing for the kingdom of God. You can also follow me on Facebook at Caleb McCall or on Instagram at Pastor Caleb Mack. See you next week.